0: Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's explanations with Dr.
1: Doe. Sexplanations podcast, episode 15. I'm Dr. Lindsay Doe, clinical sexologist, host of the YouTube channel Sexplanations, and this podcast by the same name. Joining me today is my uncle, Keith. You are my mother's younger brother. And uh, let's see, what can I say about you? I remember a story... From my childhood where uh, I think I said a swear word and you you guided me. You were a really great adult figure who said, don't say that word. Uh, What other memories do I have? I think I visited you when you were in seminary school and I got my first UTI, urinary tract infection, and I didn't know what was going on. So I was at your house and I just kept going back and forth to the bathroom.
2: I don't remember any of that.
1: Well, yeah, that's Okay. You had nothing to do with it.
2: I, it was just my body. I, I do remember when you were very young. Yeah. Before Ryan was born, just before.
1: My brother, my younger brother.
2: Ryan, your brother, was born. Um, I went and helped your parents get packing up and get ready to move down to Florida. And I sat down and you crawled up on my lap and went to sleep.
1: Aww. So. That's cute. Yeah. Aww. Well, today I have invited you onto this Explanations podcast because you are a minister in Kansas, rural, rural, rural Kansas, and I feel like you're one of the few people I can talk to religion about and have an intellectual conversation to kind of pull apart what's going on in the Bible and what's going on in society and, you know, have a a rational, loving dialogue where sex meets religion Uh, we'll see (laughs) we'll see (laughs) now it's gonna be rational and loving all right um before we do that first a shout out to laura schuster paul nixon donna flint matty o'sullivan and the millers for being our boss level sexplanauts they go to patreon.com slash podcast and get this cool perk, you can do the same thing. Sponsor unscripted sex education like we're doing today and get a test question in their honor.
0: Testies, testies, explanations, testies.
1: Do you wanna ask me a test question? A multiple choice question about sex and religion? Or do you want me to ask you one?
2: I want you to ask me one.
1: Okay, I don't know if you're familiar with the Mormon religion. Not
2: uh, heavily but one. Latter-day
1: Saints. So I am told there is this concept called soaking, and I'm going to give you possible definitions for it, and you tell me which one you think is the meaning of soaking.
2: Soaking, S-O-A-K-I-N-G. Yes.
1: Yeah, soaking. Okay. Okay. I have heard this connected to the Mormon religion, and I have spoken with uh, young people who identify as Latter-day Saints, and they say they do not know what this is, so I cannot
2: you can't verify it either I can't way.
1: verify it, but the concept still exists, this okay. idea of soaking. So is it A, being in the same swimming pool and thinking that you can get a person pregnant if you ejaculate, B, putting a penis in a vagina but not moving around, therefore believing it is not intercourse, C, putting a finger in a vagina and not moving it around, or D, oral sex, a penis in a mouth that isn't perceived as sex.
2: Boy, I have no clue. <laughs> I don't even know where I go with that. If I had to pick any of them, I'd probably, I probably—I guess—I'd probably pick B. If I'm thinking right, that it was putting a penis in a vagina and not moving it around, that would be my guess. But I have no clue.
1: You got it right.
2: Well, I got lucky.
1: Yeah, if we know, if we. <laughs> If any of you are Mormons or Latter-day Saints, if that's how you identify yourselves, please let us know if soaking is a thing you've come across. This idea, right, that you can penetrate, but it doesn't equate to sex. Therefore, you have not sinned. Therefore, you have done, you know, no act prior to marriage that would get you in trouble soaking. You're nodding your head. What do you what, think?
2: You know, whatever. I mean, you can come up with all sorts of ways of, of doing things and justifying why you do them. So I guess that makes sense. But, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you come across similar things in your congregation or in your experience just being around the church where people have justified certain sexual behaviors?
2: Well, the ones that come to mind first would be kids— you know, fondling each other to bring them to climax, or oral sex. Mm -hmm. But by because they didn't have uh, traditional sex, they would say that was not, we're not having sex. It's oral sex. Mm. Kind of like the, you know, the the President Clinton, Mm
1: -hmm. I
2: did not have sex with that woman. Well, it depends on how we want to define sex.
1: So how do you define sex for your congregation? And for those of you who aren't familiar, congregation is a term that refers to the people, your your audience essentially yeah. of your church as you are their yeah. leader. I don't
2: spend a lot of time talking about sex with a no? congregation. No.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: Not on a large group scale. One, because I have within that congregation, I can have anywhere from a one year old to you're a 90-something-year-old. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to bring up a lot of different topics. And you, know, you have varying degrees of how conservative people are, and there's a certain amount of respect of saying this should be something that the parents should be teaching. Now, I went, might in youth group talk about have us talk about sex.
1: That's awesome.
2: But I would not have it generally probably within a, a sermon. And there's other aspects of that. You know, if I'm guaranteed that no one's going to show up, no one outside the congregation is going to show up,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, it's a little safer to go into that kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. But if you get someone outside of the congregation and you talk about things that they're not ready, they don't understand me. Right. They don't. Have, there's no trust relationship built, and and it doesn't mean that I don't. I'm not there to answer questions. I mean, I have people who ask me questions about different things or raise different things, and then I'll have conversations. But a general preaching on sexuality, no. I I generally stay away from that.
1: Well, how do you guide your youth group. What ages are they?
2: Well, if I would do a youth talk, and I have done youth talks, I could have anywhere from, you know, seventh grade through high school age. Okay. I've had conversation with college kids, too. Not a lot, but I've had some. You know, and again, it's a lot of, a lot of it deals with abstinence, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's generally where we begin, because that's, uh, I have one individual, he and I are talking, he wants to get an app, that I would would have that he would use on his phone and on his computer, uh, because he concerned he doesn't want to look at pornography.
1: Okay.
2: And what this app would do is anything time he does, you know, a website would pop up on his computer. It would also I would get a list of that, and this way he's staying accountable.
1: Ah. Oh, okay. So
2: and those things are out there because he wants to be accountable and. Uh, he just says, you know, and it's, it's a temptation for him, and I'm like, that's fine. We can do that.
1: But then, then let's say he goes to one of these sites. It shows up on your phone. Right. And how do you participate as the person keeping him accountable?
2: Well, at, at that point, obviously, we uh, one aspect of it is we would have a conversation of, of what led to that. You know, and and why that came up and uh, what led to it and how uh, he could guard himself in the future. What, Mm -hmm. you know, there's certain things. I mean, obviously, in our life, like if you're an alcoholic. Right. Right. And you want to stay on the wagon. Mm -hmm. You don't go walking into a bar with your friends, the same bar you and sit down in the same stool you sat in for 10 years where you drank and got yourself drunk. You understand that there are certain boundaries you got to create in your life and certain things you got to remove in your life to protect yourself from doing the things you don't want to do. Right. So the conversation would be, what happened? How did this happen? And and begin to talk about how we could change that. I'm not trying to impose boundaries upon him. Right. You know, I don't go in and say, I'll tell people at times, Mm -hmm. but only if they invite those conversations. You know, like the conversation you and I had yesterday in the car with you know, Derek, it was a matter of inviting into the conversation. But I don't generally, I try not to, unless I'm invited in the conversation. Now, in a preaching situation, I'm invited to present certain material. But there's not a lot of material that deals with sexuality within Scripture.
1: Ooh, okay, let's talk about it.
2: That's laid into your... <laughs>
1: I mean, you and I have been talking about sex and religion for a couple days now, right? and we also have a relationship that stretches my whole life. So I have a lot of trust built up with you, and I also recognize that as a person who has a faith and a set of beliefs that maybe not everyone agrees with, you are very, very respectful of other people's paths and their, their own system of beliefs. Which I think is incredible and, you know, also part of the reason why I am sharing my audience with you to say, like, mm-hmm. hey, everyone, this man here, he, he's good people. Let's, let's try this conversation. And what I told you is that the main thing I wanted to talk about was onanism. So right. I'm, I'm glad we went into pornography. I wasn't even expecting that. Cool. Um, <laughs> it would have come up. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, onanism. My understanding is that there's a character in the Bible named Onan, right? and I'm not sure who his brother was. Do you remember? Er, There's Er. an
2: older brother named Er, and there was a younger brother. Okay, yeah, you tell the story. Right? You want me to tell the story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so there is a uh, father who is Judah.
1: Okay, Judah. Okay,
2: Judah's the father. He's one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Just kind of give you a little background, Jacob, the 12 tribes and all that to become Israel. And... Judah has three sons, and the oldest being Er. And Er, he has an arranged marriage with a woman by the name of Tamar. And Er does something and dies. I don't remember what it was exactly, but uh, he dies. And the proper way to handle that situation, uh, he doesn't have any offspring, um, doesn't have any children.
1: Er doesn't. Er uh, doesn't. Okay.
2: And it's spelled E R. Er. Ur. Okay. And uh, the, basically, the, the tradition was that uh, if you had any brothers, those brothers would fulfill um, the duty of going in and producing an offspring. And when we talk offspring, we're talking male. Okay. To a male offspring uh, for the older brother. Okay, so that's and Onan, the second brother. The younger brother, is his dad Judah says, go do that. Let's fulfill your responsibilities as a brother and go do that.
1: Leveret marriage. Uh, hmm? Leveret marriage. L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E, I think. I is don't have
2: a, I'm not aware of the expression, but uh, I'll, yes, I I'll go it, with that.
1: Leveret marriage. It's the Hebrew law that you yeah. have to marry your older brother's widow right. to create An the heir to his right. property, et cetera. Right. So that is Onan.
2: That's on, on. And he, and goes, he goes in to... and and the way that I interpret the story is he goes in and he basically practices what am I contraception in a sense. Yeah, he, he, he's a boy, he, he has sex, but he pulls out early. He's not soaking. <laughs> he's not soaking, but he pulls out. <laughs> and he spills his seed, a semen on the ground, mm-hmm. and he doesn't Want to do this. And I am not sure, I haven't read it that closely, the law, but I wasn't necessarily under the impression. Well, I guess they would add to Mary. So either he doesn't like Tamar and he doesn't want to marry her, Uh or the other possibility is that if the first child that he has is going to be this offspring, this heir for Mm -hmm. his brother Er, Ur, his concern may have been that he wouldn't get as much inheritance.
1: Oh, of course, right? right? Because Judas would have gone to heir, heirs would go would have gone to Onan, but instead Onan has to create a son. No, well, here's
2: here's how it would have worked. Okay, Judas would have been split up between the three sons.
1: Oh, right? right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's true.
2: But understand, the oldest son got a double portion. The oldest son would have got fifty percent. The other two sons would each get 25%.
1: Why would the oldest son get 50%? Because
2: that's what was tradition. Uh,
1: okay. Okay.
2: Sure. So now, if my brother Er mm-hmm. doesn't have any offspring, I become the oldest son. I now get two-thirds because mm-hmm. only I get my double portion, and my younger brother only gets one-third. I don't know that that was motivation. We could debate. We don't know. We're not told in the scripture what it is. But like, you know, as you noticed or mentioned, Onanism or whatever it's called, because Uh I I never even, if I, I'm sure I read it someplace, but never really remembered that as an expression for masturbation. And that was a big thing. People would look and say, oh, Here's what Onan did. He, he masturbated and spilled his seed on the ground and and, the, and God killed him. And this is why we're going we're to judge or say why masturbation is uh, inappropriate as a sin is whatever you want to describe it as immoral. But uh, I don't think that's what he did. I think he pulled out early. He
1: did. But,
2: and that's the way I interpret it. So,
1: what, okay, is there any other place in the Bible where it says masturbation is wrong?
2: No. There is there is scripture in the Bible that talks about nocturnal emissions.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. What does it so say? So there's
2: some there's one in Leviticus and one in Deuteronomy, and basically says if a person has a nocturnal emission, um, that they need to go outside the camp uh, for a period of time and then come, get cleansed and come back in.
1: Nocturnal emission, by the way, being another right. term for wet dreams. Dreams. Yeah. yeah.
2: So. Uh, you know and you got to understand part a lot of these laws were set up especially in terms of cleansing and if we assume that there were 600,000 men and how many women and children traveling around for 40 years in the wilderness population being well over a million possibly upward of three million people uh, the size of you know the population of Chicago traveling around with no running water no sanitation system yeah there had to be some very strict laws on how to keep everyone healthy, okay? So they had these very strict things on you know, if you do this, you got to do this. If you did this, uh, menstruation was one of those. no well, because one,
1: they didn't know what it was.
2: they didn't fully understand
1: they yeah. thought there was a time, even well after we have the whole medical field and you're you're looking at like yeah. modern day technology that they believed the semen from a wet dream was the same symptom of gonorrhea. So they thought that, yeah, it was...
2: I don't know exactly how much they, what they saw in Jewish culture, but again, they were just being safe. Okay. So that was the thing. But there's nothing that says that was sinful to have a, a nocturnal emission, okay, or have a wet dream. They didn't say, oh, that's terrible. They just acknowledged that it was something they needed to treat in a healthy manner, Okay.
1: Okay, so, so that, no, just to
2: say, say, send a person now. I mean, there was all sorts of things a person could do <laughs> that would cause them to go outside of the camp, and have to spend time outside the camp until they got cleaned up and came back in. So that was just yeah, good sanitary practice. Okay, in their minds.
1: So there's two verses. Two
2: verses for nocturnal emission. Zero
1: for masturbation. That hmm? you know zero of.
2: for ma- there's nothing. Um, you go into the New Testament. They start talking about different pornania. Which, of course, we get the word pornography from. Or Ooh, por- tell
1: me, I don't know this.
2: Okay, so that was just what's pornania. Pornania is a, a word that used to talk about exact translation. I probably can't give you, but it was just uh, different types of sexual practices, generally promiscuous sexual practices. Okay. Okay. It's,
1: it's called pornania. Yeah. And that is in the Bible.
2: Yeah. And in it, the Greek grammar, we're in Greek. We're talking. That's a Greek word. So in an English translation, it's going to show up as uh, well. There's a couple of different ways they translate it, but it's just generally sexual practices, uh, illicit sexual practices, or something and along it's, that
1: line. And it's judging them one way or another, or it's just referring. Well, to
2: Well, it's us? generally would be referred to as inappropriate. So it would be considered sex outside of marriage. It would, you know, you can you could apply it to a large range of things when you say it's sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. It could be applied to a number of
1: things. So in the Bible or in other texts around the Bible that you would use as part of your education about Christianity, does it say anything about sex within marriage with a woman where the penis penetrates an anus?
2: Anal sex. No. To my knowledge, no.
1: So that would be okay? Okay. (laughs) if you don't know, that's okay. I'm just well, wondering. What I'm
2: saying is uh, there are certain boundaries that okay. are created. Okay. Sex between two men would be considered inappropriate. Sex between two women is is deemed inappropriate. Uh, sex before Sex between marriage. a related, you know, people who are related uh, through marriage even, you know, in terms of like a, a stepmother and a Son, you know, a stepson, that would be considered inappropriate. Um, Sex between a brother and a sister or half-sister would be considered inappropriate.
1: Sex Uh, before marriage.
2: uh, Sex before marriage is inappropriate.
1: Extramarital
2: sex. Extramarital sex. Adultery is considered inappropriate.
1: Okay, so we have all these inappropriate things except sex between a man and a woman in a marriage. Yes. But does it say what kind of sex? No. So oral sex...
2: Oral sex or is not specifically sex. identified. Okay. So there are some things. And the interesting thing within the church, you know, people get—we want to we want to start creating boundaries, okay? Because you create boundaries to protect, okay? So the scripture says you don't want to lead someone to sin. If you lead someone to sin, I could, if I lead a child to sin, it says, or I cause a child to stumble, it would be better for, off for me to have a millstone— Tied around my neck, and I got thrown into the ocean.
0: What?
2: Yeah. So that's Matthew. Anyway, there, <laughs> there are these things. And so you want to be mindful. For example, let's talk, go on about onanism or, or okay. masturbation. Yeah, yeah, So here I am, and I'm going, okay, I recognize that there is no prohibition to masturbation. So I can, anyone's listening right now and says, well, I like to masturbate. I can't tell them in Scripture mm-hmm. this is a sin. Right. Now, let me mention, there's some caveats. Okay. Okay. So, Jesus says, you know, you have heard that it says that um, if you have sex with another woman outside of marriage, or a woman has married and, and you have sex with her, it is adultery, right? Yes. And Jesus then says, but I tell you, if you look at another man's wife and lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. Okay. okay. So Jesus is raised as bar. So now we begin to talk about lust. And if we say, okay, Jesus now says that lust is sin, and I now say, okay, so I know young men. Mm-hmm. I understand what motivates young men. I understand the accessibility of pornography, mm-hmm. and even more so now in our internet age, mm-hmm. and uh, someone's... Wants to masturbate. Mm -hmm. And a lot of young men, what what do they do when they want to masturbate?
1: Use imagery of people.
2: Mm -hmm. They watch, they look at? They look at porn. They look at porn. So now we run into a question of saying, the physical act is not sinful. However, is there lust involved? I don't know. That's a question. And I won't say that every person, every moment that someone masturbates... There's lust involved. I'm not going to lay right. that on. I just recognize that's an issue. Yeah. I recognize there's shame and guilt involved, which can also be a very difficult thing for an individual. They're struggling with this, And unfortunately, the church is partially responsible for that. I understand that. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to—I'm not making a big deal, but I do. I am concerned for anyone who is dealing with those issues because I don't want them to feel— Guilty or shameful, or the other problem with shame and guilt is that it can lead them to break relationships. Let so will give you an example. As I kind of did some little background reading on the topic, mm-hmm. and I found a book that came out in the 70s, and it was about an author, and he was talking. It was called "Handling Your Horm- Hormones" by uh, Jim Burns, and he and he talks in particular. One of the topics is masturbation, and and he does not come out strictly against it. But Mm -hmm. again, he mentions caveats. Mm -hmm. And he talks about a young man who came to him and said he was masturbating numerous times Mm -hmm. during the week, such to the point that he was breaking off relationships and such to the point that he wasn't involved in the activities that he had been involved, to the point that it occupied basically every moment of his life. Okay. It became an unhealthy obsession. Mm -hmm. And Rather than a healthy release, right? And you recognize that. I mean, you're an educator. Course, you yeah. recognize there are, uh, sex can be very addicting, mm-hmm. and so that's the other side of this. When is the when do I deal with masturbation in terms of okay, the act is not mm-hmm. specifically a sin, but when does it become the Can a person who understand that? Can a fourteen year old, fifteen year old boy? understand where are the boundaries how do I maintain boundaries when do I so it's hard for me just to say oh yeah go do it the other thing we can run into is obviously in masturbation it is a different type of sex and it's very self-centered in a a sense in a sense it's very self-centered because you're focused on whom yourself yourself okay uh, let me, <laughs> That's let
1: like me, saying urination is self-centered. Let me, <laughs> let me,
2: let me, you know. So what ends up happening, if people, and I again, I come from a very male point of view in terms of I'm focused on what the men are doing, not what the girls are doing, not what. Okay. Because I don't know. I don't know what it's like, obviously, you like to be a woman. Okay. So does this, can this lead to men being in sex, selfish, pleasing themselves when they have intercourse with a woman. You understand what I'm saying?
1: Yes. And I also think that this could apply to every human behavior where the problem isn't the behavior itself. It's the intention and the context.
2: Right. So let me, let me add one more thing in here. Okay. I have come up with a concept of what I call sins of excess.
1: Sins of excess. Okay. This is your concept.
2: This is my concept. I have no idea. I've never seen this written down. I don't know if it exists. Okay. Okay. It came out of what is called uh, the seven deadly sins. Okay, <laughs> okay, the seven deadly sins are things like lust, greed, uh, sloth, sloth, gluttony. Yeah. Okay.
0: Mhm.
2: And and we were talking about balance earlier. Mhm. Okay. Love is a very beautiful, wonderful thing, right? Mhm. I even think sex is a beautiful, wonderful thing. God created this wonderful body. They have wonderful feelings
0: mm-hmm.
2: during sex. I think. I truly believe that. But when it begins to get out of proportion, out of balance, mm-hmm. then it begins to become about lust or it becomes about self-gratification, how you might want to look at it. Or proper eating
1: right. is exactly. a good
2: thing. But what if it becomes about eating anything you want, anytime you want, and becomes gluttony? Right. Um you know, money we need. It's good to have good economy. It's good to have Good interchanges. But when it becomes also centered on greed.
1: Right.
2: Now you understand my sense of excess? Yes. It's it's just when things become out of balance. So masturbation in and of itself is not a sin. However, masturbation can cause maybe, if the person does it, can get out of balance. That's the concern. Can we say
1: that the person can get out of balance, though, rather than the masturbation?
2: Right. I, right. I cause, agree.
1: Because I think... So I did an episode on the effects of porn. Right. And what I found in my research is that the porn itself isn't problematic. It's the person who is taking in that pornography. Right. So it, it depends on how the individual uses it and how it affects them, not the porn having this effect on people. Right. right. I think I think at least that's what we've come up with here, so far.
2: Here's here's the side of that. An interesting thought. When I was in college I remember a professor. I think it was my first year or second year, psychology professor, and he was talking about pornography. And he said, "Oh, porn's not bad. Um, actually, I think I should get. We could give it to sexual offenders because that would relieve these sexual inclinations they have, and all that." Mm-hmm. And at the time, I thought, "Oh, well, uh, that might make sense. I don't know." But as I realized it, you know, one of the things about addictive behaviors is that in order We're always strive. The person's always striving for that high. How do I get back to that first high? How do I get back Mm -hmm. to that? And and because there's a kind of uh, sense of you can't achieve it unless I get a little bit more extreme. I get a little bit. So my thought with him was actually that's probably not going to work. It's because it got to get so much more. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's people who can look at porn. It'll have no effect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Visually, it's like probably not that exciting. Mm-hmm. However, if they might read a, an erotic novel, they get more out of it. Mm-hmm. But they are also to the point, depending on the person and depending on how they're wired, they might need more and more and more and lead them into places they uh, become destructive right. in their life. So that, that's a challenge. And, and again, going back to masturbation, I don't want someone to say, oh, well, you know, Pastor Keith said uh, da-da-da-da-da. And because we often hear what we want to hear mm-hmm. and not hear the caveats to go on. So I, I'm concerned about that because in uh, any time I teach and say something. The nice thing within a relationship of a congregation, of a group of people, is I can have questions and answers. Mm-hmm. And begin to flesh out what that might lead in an individual's life rather than what it might lead to someone who I never never meet when I'm doing in a podcast. See, so,
1: we have similar jobs.
2: I, I haven't disagreed with that <laughs> yet. I don't think I have.
1: Which I think is to say we don't speak in absolutes. We share our knowledge and our experience and we build around those ideas how Each individual might experience it differently. So, for example, this might be pornography, masturbation, sex before marriage, homosexuality, these topics. We speak to what limits we have on our own knowledge, and then we say this is how it could vary person to person, which is sex education and very important. Yeah.
2: I do speak in absolutes, but I don't speak a lot in absolutes because— and we could go into those, but that's this is probably not the time and place to go into the certain absolutes. But I would say I, I would I would argue that pornography deals with lust and therefore is sinful. To you. Now I would go that direction. Okay. Okay. And I would say sex outside of marriage, you know, and we could define what marriage is. That becomes another topic. <laughs> um, but I would say sex outside of marriage, outside, you know, two consenting adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my background, it would be male and female would be sinful.
1: Okay, so what's That's... your take on sin then? Because
2: sin is all thought, word, and deed contrary to the will of God. That would be a simple, quoted definition of sin.
1: And we are all sinners as right. human beings. Oh, definitely. So, do you give the world, the people, etc., permission to be sinners?
2: I don't have the right to not. <laughs> To do that. I, nor do I, I have no hard, hard enough trouble dealing with it in my own life, let so alone to sit there. What you're asking me is, do I judge people?
1: Because uh, you're saying,
2: do I get permission to be sinners? It's not my right to yeah. give the permission. If I say they're created by God, where does God stand on it? That's a whole different aspect.
1: Of I guess it. I'm wondering if you say, okay, you are a man. You love another man. You're not hurting anyone. You're a human being. Right. Therefore, you have your sins. This is okay. Like as your pastor, I will support you. I want you to be happy and
2: that yeah. I understand what you're saying. You're asking me <laughs> if I'm going to judge them or not. And I here here let me let's go on to the topic.
1: Okay, let's do it.
2: Lesbians, gays, bisexual. That's yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. Whatever we want to do here. Your
1: your daughter and her partner who are not married.
2: Yeah, I don't have a daughter and partner. Let's,
1: let's try that again. <laughs> your niece. And her partner, who are not married. Oh,
2: my niece and my partner. I can't think of who you're thinking about, but I, maybe oh, they'll come to mind. Okay, yeah. So let's—and uh, that's a little bit different depending on how we define marriage. Because marriage, what a lot of people don't understand, marriage was a civil custom for a long time before after Christianity. It was a civil thing. It was a legal thing. People went to the courthouse and got it done. It wasn't done in the church for a really long time. Okay. And then eventually um, around, I, if I remember the historic layout, they would go right around 1000 AD. They started showing up at the church to receive a blessing. Mm-hmm. And then around the 1500s, it got moved into the church. So in Ireland, for example, when we were, you had certain places where marriages could be done, but they had to be done by the right person. It had to be done in a certain way, and and along that lines, because it was it had a civil aspect. Remember when Ryan got married? He, there are all those signatures and all that witnessing that had to be done, mm-hmm. you know, because it had to be done legal because it has legal standing. Okay, so there's a legal side of marriage. That's a legal side of marriage. Then we can talk. There's also a spiritual side of marriage. But but let's go back to the whole aspect, in particular of. Uh, lesbians and gays, which is it's, it's a hot topic and it's a tough topic. And where I start, I ignore most of scripture on it.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: And the reason is because you can, well, you can pull up the various texts and dealing with like Sodom and Gomorrah, and then there are texts in Romans and texts in First Corinthians chapter six and texts in First Timothy chapter one, and there are where that deals with this. Okay. But I begin in Genesis chapter 2, where it's, and even Genesis chapter 1, it says, God created man, he created male and female. Uh, the ideal, the way that God created was a male and a female. And the ideal situation was the man would, and, and then we go in Genesis chapter 7, where we have this beautiful scene of man not of being alone, and God said it's not right for man to be alone, again, written from a male perspective, so, you know, <laughs> and and it's not right for man to be alone, and, 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 and he, so he creates a helpmate out of, out of Adam's rib, right? Mm-hmm. And Adam wakes up, and he's so overwhelmed, um, in my perspective, of, of Eve's beauty that he be, breaks out into poetry. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. Here is the, I mean, he's just enamored with Eve. That's the ideal. That's how it was meant to be. That's how God created it. Okay. But then we have this thing that screws everything up. There's this moment right in chapter 3 where it all falls apart. And Adam and Eve eat of, of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and sin comes in. And the whole thing breaks down. And it isn't just sexual issues. It's, it's things like greed and, and gluttony and everything— Comes in, so I'm going to tell you the way God meant it to be Mm -hmm. was male and female. Okay, outside of that, it's outside of the way God meant it to be. Now, now, wait. Let me finish. Let me finish. Don't (laughs) don't worry. Don't. Yeah. Don't. You don't need to attack me yet. Oh, I
1: know. I don't want to. This, this,
2: because there's the other side of this. I understand. I understand that. People have these inclinations, maybe from birth, that they don't know what to do with, whether it's to be with another man, a man with a man, or a woman with a woman, whether it's to be, um, I'm not right, I don't feel right, I want to be that sex, not this sex. And I can't imagine how difficult that must be. I do not think I have a right to judge that person. Mourn for them, pray for them, encourage them, yeah. You know, people want to judge them. I don't agree. Uh, I think the church has struggled with this. They again they're scared to if they how they open up the gate, where do they, how they deal with it. They're scared of how it might like lead to other things. And we're scared. I mean, we get fearful. Mm-hmm. We don't want to lead people to sin. That's one side of that. There right. are those who just want, don't want to understand, don't care to understand, don't want to even recognize the sin within themselves. And so they judge, and they don't recognize the grace of God that God offers to a son, Jesus Christ, because there's grace. And God—see, one time I thought about it, going, what if one of my kids came to me and said, I'm homosexual, I'm gay, I'm lesbian, Mm -hmm. I'm—and I thought I'd
1: still love them. Of course you would.
2: So it doesn't (laughs) change. Now, you know, we talked about—the other day we talked about we pick our sins yeah and the thing I always think about in relation especially in relationship to homosexuals, three times I've had fathers come to me, and especially of course, this was uh, the most recent one was two thousand and fifteen, but there was ones that went back to I don't know maybe about two thousand eight, two thousand and nine. Uh, probably after President Obama became, you know, came into office and and started relaxing the things on homosexuality, and it became much more broader, mm-hmm. accepted, and all this. And and they said to me, "I think you need to say something about homosexuality." And I said, "Well, that's really interesting." <laughs> I said, "Okay, so let let's take our, uh, you know, high uh, high school. We got about 100 kids in the high school. Yeah, how many kids do you think in that high school are homosexual?" Let's say, you know, 3%. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I don't know what the, what the statistics are, but I think 3% is probably a good number. So we got three kids in there that are homosexual. How many kids do you think in that high school are having sex out of marriage? 50%? And the topic you want me to raise about is homosexuality? Mm. And ignore the other 50% of the kids who are having sex out of marriage? Don't you think that's a little skewed? And mind you, these three <laughs> fathers had each had a child who had a child out of wedlock. Mm-hmm. They had turned a blind eye to what their child had done. They had gotten over maybe the sin of their child because they, I knew they loved their children and they accepted what they had done. And so they had turned a blind eye to that sin. But they couldn't turn a blind eye to this sin. My general interpretation, or my general thinking, if I began to talk about sexuality, I think, you know, I fully believe the lesbian, gay, bi, transsexual, and I don't know if we can add all the other letters out there, Mm -hmm. have a general right to complain about the church. Because okay. <laughs> I think the church is incredibly biased. I think if the church fairly across the board condemned all things that biblically are, biblically sexually are contrary to what is scripture, so I stand out and preach heavily against sex out of marriage, mm-hmm. preach against abuse, mm-hmm. against rape, against mm-hmm. you name it, and homosexuality can be thrown in there. Mm-hmm. Then they can't say I'm being biased because I'm preaching against it all. But it's so easy for the church to pick one particular element and preach against that because that's an easy one because that doesn't affect hardly anyone in my congregation. It may never affect anyone in my congregation. And so my congregation gets off free and clear. So I think that's the problem we run into. I think we need to recognize that. But even more important, we need to talk about grace and we talk about God's forgiveness and God's love and, all sorts of other aspects. Um, I read a book. I've read a lot of books, man.
1: <laughs> I can tell. Uh,
2: but one of the books I read was What's So Amazing About Grace, um, written by a gentleman by the name of Philip Yancey. He's written a lot of great books about faith. And in that, he has a chapter on a guy by the name of Mel White. Mel, Mel White grew up in an evangelical home, uh, became an evangelical preacher. I don't remember where he was ordained or any of that, um, was a... Ghostwriter for numerous people, many of them extremely conservative individuals. And Mel Wright wrote a book called um, Stranger at the Gate. You ever hear it? No. Interesting book. Okay. Um, but Mel White is homosexual, and he came out. Hmm. And I, when I say he wrote, I mean, Ghostwriter for like Oral Roberts. Yeah. And, you know, wow. very, very conservative individuals. And Philip Yancey struggles with this idea of grace and homosexuality and all this in this. And when I was, I did a Bible study on this book and I did it on What's So Amazing About Grace. I did it twice. And the second time I did it, I, every newspaper article, every book that Philip Yancey mentioned, I tried to read. Ah. If I could get my hands on it, I read it. Wow. Including Stranger at the Gate. Okay. And when I read Stranger at the Gate, I saw in this, and maybe it's been a while since I read it, but I I realized this topic was much more complex than I understood it, much more complex than probably anyone else. Here was a man who grew up in a normal family, struggled with this attraction to young boys his age, Mm -hmm. you know, Young men his age, mm-hmm. adult men his age, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And struggled with how to deal with that in a very real sense and never found peace with it until he came out. Right. Okay. And he went through all sorts of different things, uh, you know, psychotherapy, electroshock therapy, aversion mm-hmm. training, yeah. you know, the whole deal, as far as I could tell. I mean, there may have been something else he could have done. That's not my place to judge.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But I realized, too, the choice to live in that was not an easy choice. It, and especially society 25 years ago, it was a, a big deal. It was not simple. It be It's much simpler to live as a heterosexual right. in oh, our right, society. Right, right, right. Yeah, I don't have to worry about it. I can go get my wedding cake, and I don't mm-hmm. have to worry about someone saying, no, I don't want to make that for you. I can go get flowers, and I don't have to worry about those issues. I, I don't have to worry about judgment or condemnation or bigotry or any number of things. So I recognize it's a hard decision for people to make. It's not my place to judge. I'm not saying God won't judge them. Mm-hmm but I recognize God is also very gracious, and uh, it's not my place. Okay, I'll I, I, take I think, I think I need to tell them the truth, and they need to work that out. But I know God is a loving God. And you know people will say, oh, well, I, I'm too easy. I, I know I brought this up. It's interesting, I mentioned I'd be on this, doing this podcast, mm-hmm. doing this with a couple individuals. And and said, you know, pray that I don't screw up too badly. <laughs> um, you know, and the funny thing is the first thing they brought up was homosexuality. It's like, come on, there's so many sexual topics yeah. we can talk about. Why are we focusing on this? You know, what? Are, why are we talking about encouraging kids not to have sex? I mean, there's so many reasons not to have sex outside of marriage, all sorts of venereal diseases and things that they can pass to each other. Uh, there's pregnancies not as likely but then venereal diseases but there's that. there are the emotional things that can happen to a child who has, you know, depending on the age, doesn't understand what's going on and all of a sudden they've had sex and they're going now they're dealing with guilt and and shame and, and, and whatever whatever things are going on in their mind. So we, I think we, we're focusing on the wrong things, and we need – I'm not saying that – as a Christian, I'm not saying that that isn't – homosexuality isn't one of those things. But boy, it's, there's so much else we need to be talking about. Another thing to think about and give you another church perspective where I think the church misses this, and it may be in certain sense your, your question about what do I say the congregation has some validity,
1: and why not
2: <laughs> – but – I remember going to a youth – this is when your Aunt Sandy and I were first married. We were probably married about three years. We were sitting in the church where we were married. It was a junior high youth conference, and I had my arm around her shoulder, and someone came by and said, you know, you shouldn't be doing that in front of the kids. You know, it's such, such a bad example. And at the moment, you know, you're just kind of struck. You don't even think, oh, I should say something. What should I say? How should I <laughs> respond back? I thought, no, I'll just be quiet. But then afterwards, I thought, wait, something here. I have a license to do this. I have a marriage license that Mm -hmm. says I'm allowed to do this. I have a ring on my finger that says I'm allowed to do this. And not to mention, isn't it in the church where kids should be learning appropriate relationships? Why are we allowing them to learn about all this stuff outside? Why aren't we teaching them about how to— each other inside the church? Why shouldn't they come into the church and see the pastor hold his wife's hand or put his arm around and see that there is appropriate touch and, and it isn't some evil thing that we shouldn't be doing? And yet we do that. It's like we, we want to make sex look so bad and yet God created this wonderful thing. This blessed gift that he's given us, why
1: do we look
2: at it so negatively?
1: I don't know. (laughs) You don't have that answer. Please tell us. I
2: I think for me, I think sex is a wonderful thing. I see there needs to be boundaries. Your boundaries are going to be different than my boundaries. Mm -hmm. My boundaries would be dictated by Scripture and that understanding. And we could spend, a little, of course, a long time discussing all what were those. You know, like you said, you'd mention anal sex.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we could talk about oral sex. Then we can get all those sexual positions and all, well, sorts yeah. of, all sorts of different things. It's hard because the Bible isn't as explicit. But a lot of times when it isn't explicit about something, it doesn't mean it doesn't have an opinion. It means that in that moment, it wasn't an issue that needed to be addressed. So, for example, Jesus doesn't talk a lot about promiscuity and, and different things. He In particular, homosexuality, he doesn't mention it at all. And so some people say, well, then Jesus wasn't against it. Well, within the culture he was working with, homosexuality wasn't an issue. Mm-hmm. When Paul writes on it, and he brings up on three different occasions— It's an issue because it was practiced in the temples. It was practiced between at the higher uh, nobility class. The richer people would practice. So there's there's different reasons why different things are mentioned at different points.
1: We could go forever.
2: We could probably spend a little bit more time. I mean,
1: right? I'm thinking about how maybe the church right now is being brought up a lot into conversations about homosexuality and people who are transitioning in their gender. The church is also going to have to address the conversation about polyamory and young people's decision to not get married and asexuality where they don't experience attraction in any direction. And so they're maybe not fulfilling God's will of creation or whatever that is. So, yeah, we could go and go first, though, before we wrap up. I want to do our weekly Kegel exercises. Feel your Kegels if you're able. Main squeeze. So if you're not familiar with Kegels, this is where you're clenching. I your, know what Kegels are. Oh, good. Good. Okay. Well, you don't have to do them. You can. But we, as a group on explanations podcast, exercise together in this unique way every week. Um, and the way that we'll do them this week is I will just count to eight. And we'll just do eight steady squeezes. It'll be low-key, just lovely. Okay? Okay. okay. <laughs> do you do kegels at all? You know what they are, but do you I, do them? I
2: know what they are. I'm not sure how, how, how a male does them differently than a woman, so that, that's okay. But we're no, in the it's same not. way. Yeah, I wouldn't know if I'm doing them or not, but go on.
1: It's the same kind of clench that you would do to start or stop urination. And actually... If the person has a penis and they have an erection, then they can put. It's like what would cause the erection to go up and down. Understand. All right. Okay. Okay. Good. Let's count. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six. Seven. Eight. Is that fun?
2: Oh, it was a riot. I, I can't <laughs> tell you how much I enjoyed that.
1: Oh, that, that's wonderful. Anything else you want to add?
2: I, I think I probably said way too much. So.
1: Oh, I loved everything that you said. I think if a person doesn't identify as Christian, then they might struggle with a lot of those concepts, but I think that you're speaking to Christianity and saying within the framework of my religion and the people that i counsel these are the ideas that i share with them this is what makes sense for our lifestyle and i don't get the at least i i don't get the sense that you're telling other people how they need to live outside of that if they choose to not participate i didn't get the sense that you're judging anyone i feel like you're just holding space for people to get closer to a god of your understanding if that is what they want i hope
2: that's what they would do and then yeah, I trust that they draw close to God, and you know, for me, it's 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 not just God the Father; it's God the Son, uh, you know, and Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and then allow His conviction to work in their lives and how they should go. There's a lot to be said, like you said, and I can't say all that needs to be said. So,
1: okay, I am curious now, wondering if there is a study out there that looked at the quality of sex that practicing Christians have versus other religions or people who do not practice a religion? There
2: is an interesting study I can show you in Ooh. a book that's, that I have um, that deals with praying and talks about praying for each other and praying with each other. And it says, uh, and this was done by a couple who are marriage counselors, and, all mm-hmm. that, and they said the quality sexual satisfaction is higher but those who pray for each other and pray with each other.
1: All right. Well,
2: so, so you can look at that. Yeah, see what you I want to see up. the
1: research. I want to do my own study. Okay. That sounds fascinating. And I bet there's something to that. I think just the the meditative state of caring about someone. Yeah,
2: that's going to help right taking there. Taking
1: the time to value what's going on in that other person's life, regardless of whether or not you call that prayer, is...
2: That's a know, starting point.
1: That's That's great intimacy right there okay well thank you for coming on to sexplanations podcast it was wonderful having you i also want to thank cinema studios for the production help complexly for producing this show and count boogie for the jingles and cora and paro i'm still learning